today are editor Marion Webb and our UK-based reporter Barnaby Pickering. Marion, I'll start with you. The Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, which could make uh, abortion illegal in many states, obviously has tremendous implications for women, healthcare providers, and other companies. One of the issues that you covered is a popular digital health service that millions of women rely on. Yeah, that's right. We And what we're talking about here are period tracking apps and fertility apps. They are raising concerns among women who are living in states where abortion is being criminalized or banned. So the main concerns being raised is the possibility that women's phones could hold incriminating information about their menstrual cycles that could be used by law enforcement to figure out if a user was seeking an abortion, as well as looking at the data for surveillance of specific individuals. Okay, talk about that. What do you mean by surveillance of specific individuals? Yeah, I know it may sound a little bit far-fetched that this type of surveillance could take place, but I spoke with an attorney who specializes in technology related to women's health, and she told me that women's concerns about data security and privacy on such platforms are well-grounded. So according to the attorney I spoke with, and her name is Bethany Corbin, she's with the law offices of Nixon Guild Law, She's hearing a lot of chatter about deleting period tracking apps, so I asked her what advice she would give to app developers to help assure that women can trust their apps and to keep their data safe. And the four recommendations she gives to company is firstly to build a data map showing every type of data being collected, how it is entering the system, where it is being stored, how and where it can be accessed, and also the exit points of the data. Secondly, she recommends that companies use the data map to understand how data is being disclosed. And she advises them to restrict the downstream sale or disclosure of data to the extent that's possible. Several app developers make money by selling this type of data. And of course, data leaves uh, the company. It could uh, result in, in some issues here. Thirdly, she said, ensure that your privacy policy is updated regularly and that the data matches exactly what it says in the policy. And finally, she recommends that companies invest in industry standards, cybersecurity and cyber insurance. Because in states where abortion is being criminalized, the value of health data has gone up significantly. I'm sure that many companies in this space will be looking for just that type of legal advice. You'll be covering this important issue and other implications from this landmark ruling. This week, uh, you'll be working on an article that focuses on the ruling's impact on telemedicine and telemedicine providers. So we're looking forward to that. You're also working on a podcast with our sister publications, HBW Insight and Script. That's going to focus on the shifting landscape for drugs and devices post-Roe versus, versus Wade. So listeners should tune in for that special podcast later this week. Thanks. Yes, Reed. So thanks for highlighting our upcoming coverage as well. But now over to your coverage. You wrote about a company called Pix Health that has a hybrid solution for loneliness, which we don't often think about as a health issue, but obviously it's become a huge problem during the pandemic. And how are they addressing this problem? Right. So Pix Health is an Arizona company, and they've created what they call a peanut butter and chocolate uh, solution to helping people struggling with loneliness, which, as you mentioned, is an underappreciated health crisis. Now, what that means to them is that it has both a technological and a human service part. 
The company's app features Pixar, which is a friendly chat bot. But the company also employs a team of what it calls Andes, authentic, nurturing, dependable, your friend, who are overseen by clinicians. So Pixar appears as a cartoon character. Um, it's designed to be funny and empathetic, uh, an emotional learner, what they said. And he treats the user as a friend rather than just a patient with the disease state or diagnosis. And in the process of communicating and interacting with the user, uh, the program is gathering information to understand what they need and determine if they're in acute danger. So I actually tested it out, um, and the interface is very easy to use, and it creates its own little cartoon world that's a very pleasant place to be. Um, but it isn't just that. The company is, like I said, measuring loneliness using a couple of different standardized screening tools, um, and those have been around for a while. And then this data can help their Andy staff direct the user to the right resources and care. Talked to their CEO, Cindy Jordan. She said that PIX tries to help all users shift to more sustainable resources in their own community and then into a self-management position once they can get them out of this sort of acute problem. Interesting. And what can the company do for those people who need help? Well, the way it was explained uh, by Cindy Jordan is that they try to help them navigate the social determinants of health. That's a term we hear a lot. So calling the pharmacy, for example, to get them help with their prescription medications or maybe connecting them to talk therapy or other medical care that they could access, um, or maybe just getting them an Uber to get them to the doctor. There's other disability management assistance, or maybe they can hook them up with somebody in their community that deals with housing issues really anything else they might need to help them re-engage with friends and family. For example, one of the users told Pix's staff that he couldn't take a shower anymore because the shower seat he needed uh, was broken. So Pix could figure out a way to get him a new one. Uh, Jordan told me that story. So obviously we heard a lot about loneliness during the pandemic. Is this health issue getting more attention now, would you say? Yeah. So according to the company, the pandemic was really the first time that it ever really got a lot of attention in the U.S. Um, it's always been a big problem and it's a, it's a real health problem with real health effects. Um, a couple other countries have started to address it a little more specifically. Um, and, and it costs a lot of money for the health system because even though these people may not feel safe taking their prescribed meds or finding other kinds of assistance, the stress of the condition leads them to a lot of other problems. So they end up in the hospital or the emergency room uh, more often if they had just been on top of those things and, and staying um, up to date on their sort of preventative measures. So lonely people use less of the resources that could prevent health problems, but then they end up costing more because they're using more expensive resources like emergency rooms. So who is the company targeting with this program? Um, so right now, the, they're really focusing on working with health plans, uh, specifically those that reach the Medicaid population. Uh, my article got into that a little bit more. Uh, they pointed out that, you know, also, even though we only generally think of of loneliness is a senior problem. The ARP's own research shows that it's it's common across a lot of different age groups. It's also common um, in people that you wouldn't expect, people who aren't necessarily living alone. So that was kind of an interesting uh, finding too. So it's, it's very common and uh, they're just trying to reach as many people as they can. Thanks for that, Reed. That is a heartbreaking problem indeed. You also wrote a short item about a company called Bradio which is making a deal with an Indian company called Blue Semi to integrate remote monitoring into their comprehensive health information system. You recently talked to that company. So what did you learn? That's right. So Radio is a Silicon Valley company, and they struck a deal with Blue Semi, which is a company in India, 
to incorporate Blue Semi's EVA remote monitoring gadget into Bradia's My Health Concierge platform. That was the article that we wrote. Now, the way it was explained is that the My Health Concierge is a proprietary platform that uses embedded healthcare workflows. Uh, we hear that term a lot these days. And that links the patients to their physicians and their electronic health records. Now, people who now signed up for this program can use the EVA device to send data directly to the platform and to their doctor. Now, all of that is pretty standard. We we get those stories a lot about devices and, and big health platforms, and, and that's all helping people keep track of a lot of things. Now, the EVA device uses non-invasive haptic sensors to measure the user's blood glucose electrocardiogram, heart rate, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, um, and a few other things. And, and that's kind of unique. Uh, the, the way it was explained to me by Bradio is they really thought that particularly that blood glucose um, non-invasive monitoring was was really uh, clever, and, and they, they liked that the most. The system, of course, provides feedback to help optimize the, the user's health and so forth. And I talked to Bradio's CEO, Ian Sholnick, and asked him why they picked EVA devices to connect to their system. And he said what really stood out was the wizardry, um, his words, especially with the way, like I said, the, the blood glucose um, non-invasively. And, and obviously, uh, non-invasive blood glucose monitoring is important technology now, well beyond the diabetic population. So I thought that was interesting that that was um what got this Indian company on their radar all the way in California. So what exactly is Bradio, though? Can you explain that a little yeah, bit Yeah, that was – right. Yeah, so I talked to him about that. That was um, very interesting. So they're actually involved in a lot of different industries, the, the company is. But the way uh, Sholnik described it to me is that their focus is on proving what he called the engagement layer between the patient and the health system. Um, and that will – it should function like a good community health program. So it's not about just creating a telehealth system that replaces in-person visits. It's about preventing hospitalizations and helping patients engage with their health in a way that just isn't already possible without this sort of constant interaction of monitoring. He also talked about how the company is partnering with telecommunications companies like AT&T, and there's some others overseas, uh, which will expand their reach into places, especially rural areas, where right now it's very hard for people to access healthcare at all right now. And of course, smartphones now are so ubiquitous, about 50% of the people in the world own a smartphone, but the system is also available on the web or from any connected device. So it's actually easier for a lot of people, perhaps most people, to access a system like this than it may be to even access like a real doctor's office. He also pointed out that all the different connections a system like this can make to make it easier for patients to access. For example, he foresees a lot more of our healthcare will come through, say, CVS or Walmart or some other retail chain like that, and it's all connected through a sort of engagement layer like this. And we've already kind of seen a little bit of that during the pandemic. You know, pharmacy chains were doing a lot of the testing and a lot of the vaccinations. Um, or, for example, a lot of people just need a ride to the doctor. So, for example, they have a connection to Uber. Um, he also talked about working with community groups other than big healthcare. For example, the Elks Club offers health benefits, and the company is connecting to them uh, to offer community health services. And all of that can be done pretty seamlessly if everyone's health records are connected. And they can not only access the information they need on their own, but it provides a lot of information through connected devices. Thanks for that, Reid. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about Bradio and Blue Semi in the future. Now over to you, Barnaby. You dipped your toes into the cryptocurrency world this month. What was that all about? 
I spoke to a company called DE Health. Um, slightly strange story. Now, they were founded in the UK, but have research locations scattered all over the place, including the US, New Zealand, the UK, obviously, but also Ukraine, which is where they have been developing their platform. What can you tell us about their platform, Barnaby? So their platform is their DHLT token, which is a cryptocurrency coin similar in nature to Bitcoin and Ethereum. All transactions of it are logged via a blockchain, which is essentially a permanent ledger of transactions. However, unlike Bitcoin and Ethereum, which don't have anything backing them other than that they are decentralized, DHLT is backed by medical data. Each coin is assigned to a grouping of data, and when this data is moved, tokens are exchanged. What this means is that there is a ledger of medical data transactions, a tool which can be used to see who holds what medical data and also how it is stored. And why have they done this? So several reasons. Um, the first is kind of a combination of data security and ownership. When I first spoke to them, I was quite skeptical um, of the whys to this story. However, after doing a bit of digging, I realized that the company had a fairly solid argument when they claimed that medical data is often poorly stored and poorly controlled. As a patient, I personally have no idea who holds medical data about me. Sure, there will be a central NHS database because I live in the UK uh, with my details, but I can't say for certain whether every dentist, hospital, doctor's surgery, optician, physiotherapist and so on has securely deleted my information when I'm no longer using their services. A ledger showing how and where my data is stored would answer this unknown. Moreover, I have no way of knowing whether at any point my medical data has been sold to a private company for research purposes. This is another problem DE Health is tackling, with patients getting paid in DHLT for their data. This is another problem DE Health is tackling. Patients get paid with DHLT for their data, meaning that when others profit from their data, so do they. Interesting. But what about HIPAA and GDPR? Both HIPAA and GDPR have been great for data protection. There is no doubt about it. But like any regulation, they have weaknesses. The obvious weakness of HIPAA surrounds data deletion. HIPAA is very clear that when electronically stored data is deleted, it needs to be overwritten or degaussed, which is where a magnet is used to wipe a hard drive just by running it over. However, these steps, especially the first, can be missed due to human error. And GDPR's weakness is arguably worse. Patients can at any point make a subject access request to see their data and then have it destroyed. But this relies on patients knowing who actually has their data, something which can prove impossible. Thanks, Barnaby. Now, you also spoke to Gluco and Omada Health about their diabetes platforms this month. What did they tell you? Yes. So I spoke to Russ Johannesson and Carolyn Yasek, CEO of Gluco and Chief Medical Officer of Omada Health, respectively. Both executives basically pitched their platforms and agreed that the missing link for diabetics derives from the episodic nature of their care. Um, a standard diabetes patient has an appointment every few months and that just doesn't cut it because between them, diabetics can be left feeling confused and overwhelmed. Um, because of this, both companies' platforms allow users to access diabetes educational resources 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And both also integrate with various blood glucose measuring devices, with Gluco having, quite frankly, baffling number of uh, pairable devices. Um, Yasik also highlighted um, an interesting trend that Amada had spotted. 
diabetics are frequently unwilling to discuss their blood glucose levels, um, largely because they feel that controlling them is too difficult. And if they're honest, they're just going to get grilled by their doctor. However, patients are surprisingly more happy to discuss weight loss. Therefore, by providing patients with a scale for at-home weighing, Omada found that these patients engaged much more actively with their health, which improved their diabetes as well as helping them lose weight. Thanks for that, uh, Barnaby and Reed. All of the subjects we talked about today are covered on medtechinsight.com. The archive of the Digital Health Roundup, speaking of MedTech, MedTech Insights, The Vice Week, and the rest of Informa Pharma Intelligence podcasts are available on the Informa Pharma Intelligence channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or Spotify Podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Reed is at MedTech Reed, Barnaby is at MedTech Barney, and I'm at MedTech Marion. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening.